the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. John, receiving this additional revelation that this sort of recommissioning, he swallows this word from God. We know that God's word does not return void. It goes out for salvation or condemnation. And when you study the word of God and you look at the human condition, it is bittersweet. It's sweet to know that God is good. He has it all under control. He leaves nothing to chance. He abandons no one. It's not that people don't know him. He's made himself known. It's that people reject him. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 11. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Do turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Uh, Today's message is entitled, What About You? What About You? I remember years and years ago, bending down and talking to my three or four-year-old about Jesus and just saying, you know, you know, do you want Jesus to save you? I mean, I had, you know, you're a pastor, you have little girls, you want to see them saved, you want to see them marry godly men. And I remember explaining the gospel very patiently and carefully. And my daughter said, I don't want Jesus in my life. I like the way I'm living right now. I don't, I don't want to not have fun. And I was like, don't say that, you know. You know, I, I laid awake that night, and I'm like, you know, Lord, just, you know, yeah, you know and I'm, I mean, just, you know, it, it was something, I think, and, and eventually, you know, we, we know how salvation works sufficiently. We have our Bibles. We don't know how it all works exhaustively. But eventually she came to Christ, and God God be praised, both of my daughters came to Christ walking with the Lord and things like that. You don't know how these things are going to work out. It's hard to say. Then I remember about 20 20 years later, bending over her 
as she breathed on a respirator, thanking God that he saved her. And what I want to ask you today is, do you really believe, do you really believe that God desires everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? I do. What about you? Do you believe that? And the reason I ask you this is because, you know, as we get into Revelation, it's, you know, we are now halfway through our study of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 11. And I remember a few weeks ago making the remark as I was wrapping up the sermon that often people question the goodness of God. And they say, well, what about the boy on the side of the mountain in the Himalayas and Nepal who's never ever heard the gospel before? What about him? You know, sometimes you'll share Christ with people and they'll ask that question. And sometimes uh, you'll talk to people about Christ or I'll talk to fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who love God, who love his word, who are real deal Christians. They'll say, but what about that little girl who lives along the Amazon? What about these people who, who never ever hear the gospel? What about them? And those are legitimate questions. Today in Revelation chapter 11, I believe you're going to have that question answered. Now, is that exactly what Revelation chapter 11 is all about? No. It isn't exactly what Revelation chapter 11 is all about. However, however, Revelation chapter 11 implicitly answers that question. And I want you to understand that because a lot of times there's a lot of things we don't know about the future, about the past, about the present. You know, somebody once told me, I remember somebody telling me this, one of my theology professors at the Master's Seminary, Dr. Trevor Cragen, who's gone to be with the Lord, he's received his reward, that Christians are like secret agents. We operate on a need-to-know basis. And everything that we need to know about God and salvation is found within his word. And that there is a larger unfolding drama of redemption, redemptive plan that we cannot see but the, and we cannot even know it exhaustively, but we can understand it sufficiently. And if we, and all we need to know is what we know, and trust God to take care of the rest. And so, if you're joining us for the first time today, we are in the middle of a sermon on Revelation, and so you should strap yourself in somewhat, because this book does confuse and terrify many people who fail to understand it, who fail to read it carefully. There are many shiny objects and symbols that some people become distracted from and they miss the flow of the passage. They miss the, the logic of the discourse and they focus in on these little shiny objects and they miss the larger picture. And what we've been focusing on as we've gone through this is the big picture. Is what does the text say? What does the text mean? And what do we do? How do we live? How then shall we think? And you know, the book of Revelation, as we've talked about before, is probably the happiest book in the Bible because it ties up all the cords and all the strands of theology and God's redemptive plan in one neat book or epistle in 22 short chapters. We learn that Jesus wins, that he is God, that he is going to return and fix everything we've broken and straighten out everything we've made crooked. 
He's going to take this world. He's going to put an end to sickness, sadness, suffering, and defeat evil. And all these terrible things will ultimately cease. And that's a happy thought. That is good news, good news indeed. Revelation, as we've discussed before, is at once a word of encouragement and a word of warning. It's a call to urgency, a call to arms. And what we see in the book of Revelation is the savagery of a fallen world, the savagery of evil human beings. And we see the character, the goodness, the greatness, the kindness, the love, albeit at times tough love, of God. And in 22 short chapters, God provides us with a sufficient understanding of his commitment to saving the lost, to rescuing humanity. Last week, Pastor Jesse unpacked, did a great job in Revelation 10 with the little book and the scroll and all these things, the thunders. And we saw that there are mysteries that we cannot wrap our finite human minds around, but we do know this, that God is good, that he answers prayer and he takes care of his people. And so we can understand God sufficiently. And as a Christian, going back to that secret agent metaphor, you, all you need to do is understand your calling, your mission sufficiently, even if you can't understand it exhaustively, in order to fulfill and live the purpose that God raised you up to fulfill. I'm reminded that uh, you don't need to understand the physics of lithium batteries to drive a Tesla, nor the physics of internal combustion to drive a Corvette Stingray. You just need to know how to drive it. You just need to know how to drive. And that's what the Bible tells us, and that's what Revelation tells us about the future. And so today, as we walk through and work through chapter 11, we're going to find a, a great insight about the future, great comfort, great calls to urgency for us here and now as we look to what's going to be happening to people then and there. And today, I believe that we will find a sufficient understanding to those nagging questions about the little boy on the side of a mountain in Nepal or the little girl who lives along the Amazon River or people who live in far-flung places like San Jose beyond the Bible Belt. And while that's not the explicit subject matter of Revelation chapter 11, it is implicit in the text. Now, Revelation chapter 11 provides us an overview of the end of the tribulation period. The church has been raptured. The people of Christ are gone. But it also reveals something about God and his wrath and his judgment. And it gives us a sufficient understanding about how far he has gone to save us and how far he will gone to go to save people, even people who have blasphemed his name and killed his prophets and spat on his Messiah. And while we will not understand everything exhaustively, we can walk away with a sufficient understanding to live for him, to tell people about him, and to sufficiently understand and grasp that he does want everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So with this in mind, let's turn our attention to the text. Revelation chapter 11, but to do that, I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 10, verse 8 for a little bit of context, because it sets up what's coming in chapter 11. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, 
go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And I... And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Knowledge, as they say, comes with consequences. And as a pastor and a preacher, I preach as a dying man to dying people. And I know how lives end, and I know that every life ends with the soul going to one of two places. John, receiving this additional revelation that this sort of recommissioning he swallows this word from God we know that God's word does not return void it goes out for salvation or condemnation and when you study the word of God and you look at the human condition it is bittersweet it's sweet to know that God is good he has it all under control he leaves nothing to chance he abandons no one it's not that people don't know him he's made himself known it's that people reject him And there's a a bitterness to that. Just like when I was talking to my little daughter and she said, I don't want to know Jesus. It was cute and terrifying at the same time. This is what's going on with John. The word of God is sweet to his taste, but the destruction of those who will push away God's forgiveness and salvation is bitter in his stomach. And you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish mind too. You know, we talk about that breaks my heart. But for the Jews, it broke their bowels. For the Greek mind, the heart was the center of the conscience and emotions and intelligence and morality. For the Jews, it was their bowels. And here, for whatever reason, it's translated stomach. And so that's where you get the feeling, you get the statement, a feeling in my gut, my gut tells me. That comes from the ancient Near Eastern culture of the Jewish people. And so his stomach was made bitter. His stomach was broken. And then it says in verse 11, And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. He's going to prophesy about all of humanity in every facet of human life and endeavor. John will describe promises of salvation in chapter 11, which are sweet, and he will pronounce oracles of judgment, which are hard to take. Some people say bitter. And so it's a bittersweet enterprise. Let's look at chapter 11. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God. So this is some future vision, and he's looking at a physical temple, a literal temple, and we'll see how you can tell that later in the text. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave it out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant to, two, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sacrifice. What is going on here? 
For three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, however you want to say it, there are going to be these witnesses who prophesy. What's going on with the whole measuring thing? He talks about a staff like a measuring rod here. And what you are seeing here is this measuring rod, particularly the way he describes it, is more like a shepherd's staff where God talks about in the parable of the sheep and the goats where those, the people of God will be separated from his enemies. This measuring rod is not quantitative, it is qualitative. God is marking out those inside the kingdom and those outside the kingdom. Those opposed to God's program of redemption and those who fall inside of it. Those Jews who embraced Christ for salvation. The court outside the temple is reserved for the holy whore, unholy hordes who will study later on. Who attack Israel, who attack Jerusalem, who attack God's people. But right now we're doing another 30,000 foot flyover of the last half of the tribulation period. Part of the city will be turned over to be trampled under feet. The unbelieving part, the believing part will be preserved. The true worshipers are those who turned to Jesus in those final days and ultimately embraced their Messiah. They will look on him whom they have pierced and weep for him as an only son. Who are they? They are fully realized Jews, completed Jews who have embraced their Messiah, who have turned from dead Judaism, the Judaism of today, the Judaism of the first century, the Judaism of the intertestamental period, and they will turn to Christ. They will be slaughtered. We'll see that coming later on as we study, but they will also be saved eternally. And these two witnesses, let's talk a little bit about them. Who are these guys? It says in verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power to turn over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. These are Jews who follow the Messiah, who follow Jesus Christ. They are completed Jews. You get a sense of that because they're described as olive trees and lampstands, and as we know, lampstands from the earlier chapters of Revelation speak to those inside the church. The olive trees speak to their ethnicity. But we also get a sense that these guys are not normal human beings. How do we know that? Well, look what they do and look how they do it. They shut up the rains for three and a half years, just like Elijah did in 2 Kings. They, like Elijah, call down fire upon their enemies and their would-be assailants, as Elijah did, and like Moses... Just as he sent the ten plagues against the gods of Egypt and the Pharaoh, they too, as often as they desire, send plagues on the earth, turning the water into blood. And for this reason, many scholars think that this is Moses and Elijah. Some argue Enoch and Elijah because they didn't die. We don't know exhaustively who these guys are, but we understand sufficiently why they are there 
to preach for three and a half years and to do miracles that transcend any other human explanation for three and a half years, to bear witness to Christ. And so they prophesy and preach God's word in the most public of ways imaginable. Their mission, their message, and office are confirmed by these incredible miracles and the power they display, fire proceeding from their mouth. I mean, that sounds like science fiction. What's going on here is God is reaching out to the world. And through their preaching and their prophesying, and preaching and prophesying are the same here, prophesying is foretelling or forthtelling the word of God. They are calling the world, an entire world, to repentance. To, not to run from God, not to run from Jesus, but to run to him. And when their mission ends, what happens? Well, let's look at verse 7. And when they had finished their testimony, when they had finished their witnessing, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, we'll talk more about him later, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city that is symbolically called Sodom in Egypt where their Lord was crucified. So there's a lot going on there. They're killed. It's like John the Baptist when his time was up. His retirement party was no party at all, right? He was imprisoned and beheaded. These guys are killed in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets, right? They're killed. They are real people doing real preaching in a very real city. And as you look at it, the city is called symbolically, metaphorically, Sodom and Egypt. Why? Because those two places typified sin in the Old Testament. And the Jerusalem today is a very real Jerusalem. But almost nobody there follows God. And we know it's really Jerusalem. How? Because it's the city where their Lord was crucified. And as we see, these two witnesses, like the prophets and the Messiah before them, die. The beast kills them, and the whole world watches. This is not done in a corner, this is not done in secret. And as we watch this scenario play out, we learn a lot about human nature, fallen human nature. We learn a lot about people that short of divine intervention, they have short memories and they will behave savagely and shamelessly if given the opportunity. You know, there's no, if we just give them enough education, they'll be perfected. I mean, I want you to think about this. Think about humanity at this time and at that time, because there will be little or no change. Having heard messages of judgment and promises of salvation that these witnesses preached, having seen the miracles that they do that affect the whole world, think about this. The destruction of the water supply, turning water into blood, plague and pestilence after pestilence, destroying their enemies. And for three and a half days... And this is where the ESV, by the way, I don't like the translation at this point. In verse 9, it says, for three and a half days, some of the peoples in the tribes, in the original Greek, and I looked at this in a lot, I looked at textual variants, and I looked at the 
Nestle Elan and the Yana Bible Society, Greek New Testaments and everything else. The word some there is not in the text. I don't know why it's there. But what it says is the peoples and tribes and languages and nations, the whole world, they will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.